You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I don't know if I can do it. I'm not sure if I can do it. We're going to find out right now if I can. It's Friday! I did it. I did it, but it was hard. Courtney, it was hard to muster up the enthusiasm for another two-hour show where we have to talk about COVID and postponements and games being affected. It is it is exhausting. Uh, we will put some fun in there. We will make fun of the Giants. We'll make fun of the Maras. Uh, we will get some fun in here tonight. But, man, if we don't have to start with this again, Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80 on a Friday. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline it is Friday, which means we are going to do our five-pick Friday, even without Fitz. We got his picks uh, mailed in, and, and he probably did mail it in at this point because I don't think he has a chance of catching me. Uh, and we will have some fun with Tom Haverstrow talking NBA, uh, you know, going to get into the Raiders side of this of this NFL postponement, what's going on in the NHL. Lots to get to, and, and we got to start with the NFL rescheduling three games today, and that's Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Um, Courtney, we've been – kind of talking about this all week, trying to get a feel for what would move the needle for the NFL. And we know they are going to do their damnedest not to cancel games and that they want to try to keep the integrity of each week as close as they can. Um, today, it just became an untenable situation where they needed to reschedule. So Raiders-Browns, which was scheduled for Saturday, now moved to Monday. And then Tuesday will be two games, Seahawks-Rams and Washington football uh, team Eagles. I want to talk about all those first, but I'm, I'm curious, and we'll ask Kevin Seifert when he joins us with a lot of these details, how they decided which teams needed and required this movement and which ones did not is it matter whether you're one of the teams involved is really truly in the playoff hunt or not because the bear situation is dire and their game hasn't been moved yeah that's the one thing I kind of find interesting because they're the only team that has all three of their coordinators currently on the COVID-19 list they've got 13 players on the COVID list yet that game's not being talked about being moved whatsoever. And maybe it's because the Minnesota Vikings only have six, three on the active roster that are on the COVID list. Like, I I don't understand that. Like I'm looking, we have a document we put together, our NFL nation group of all of the COVID uh, of all the players that are on the COVID-19 list. And it's constantly being updated. And I'm looking at this Browns list right now. I was trying to count while I was talking, which is not helping. Um, it's about like 20 players and Kevin Stefanski, the head coach is on it. Their assistant, um, you know, assistant coach as well. TC McCartney is also on that list, but like the bears have similar ish numbers yet for some reason, they're not in the mix whatsoever for for being postponed so it kind of feels like the NFL is picking and choosing to some degree which I think frustrates players and frustrates teams that are not experiencing major outbreaks like the like the Las Vegas Raiders who were very irritated today to find out that their game had been moved because of the Cleveland Browns thinking that they themselves had done everything right and they were ready to leave and they were told stand down stay at home because your game's not till Monday Right. I think the Ravens are also having a pretty serious outbreak. Maybe the point is, are the numbers such that it's almost unsafe to try to field a lineup of people who would be ready to play? Is it the number of players that they think reasonably can be out and, and, and there's a, a, a reasonable facsimile of yeah. football that people are watching and satisfied by? Um, that's, you know, questions for Kevin Seifert. You, you mentioned the Raiders, and Adam Schefter was on NFL Live today talking about the teams that were unhappy with the NFL's decision to postpone these games. We saw the 
Raiders-Browns game that was scheduled for Saturday afternoon be moved to Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Raiders not happy about it. They were at their training facility today, scheduled to leave at 2.15 on buses to the airport. The players were told not to board the buses. They prepared to leave. Now they're not leaving, and Raiders owner Mark Davis a short time ago called that a quote-unquote competitive disadvantage for his team. I can tell you the feelings are similar in Philadelphia with the Eagles going against the Washington football team and with the Seattle Seahawks going against the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams and Washington football team had COVID issues this week, significant COVID issues, and they're not pleased about their games being moved as well. Their feeling is why should they have to move games when the NFL sent out a memo earlier this summer that said teams would forfeit if they had COVID issues. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, you know, it is frustrating if you have set out your week with the expectation of the timeline being, as usual, the same rhythm, the same schedule as always, and then another team is is the reason for this change. But I also think, Courtney, like, there was there was at least a little bit more understanding last year and fluidity from teams and players because we knew that this was an, a really awful situation. There were people dying. There were situations that were, you know, far more serious than just missing or, or having to delay a football game. And I don't know if people have that compassion or empathy anymore. I think it's just been going on so long that, that it's, it's hard to muster up that empathy for another team causing your team mm -hmm. the problems. And I understand the frustration because in the memo that went out right at the start of training camp when Delta, well, the Delta variant was starting to show up in NFL facilities, that it was a different time. That was five months ago. And I think the NFL was trying to put the clamp down and make sure that teams, players, coaches, everybody was taking this seriously where it was not a matter of, okay, well, it's going to, you know, because there will, will be postponements if it, they wrote that in the language at that time. Maybe players wouldn't get vaccinated. Maybe players wouldn't take the protocols so seriously, and then they'd be in a situation. It almost felt like as a preventative measure to make sure that people were following the rules. That's why the language was what it was. But you can understand why teams who are not dealing with outbreaks and feel like they're doing everything right and they're dealing with a competitive disadvantage are turning to the NFL, to the NFL and PA, and saying, you guys wrote these rules, and now you're effectively changing them because you're moving the goalposts for, for a select few teams that are dealing with this. It's unfair when we should have probably had different language from the start because I hate using the word, but it is, it's been a fluid situation since day one, and now well, Courtney, and we have a new variant. It's getting worse. Correct me if I'm wrong, but which, which things are they changing? Because the original was the very extreme case of pointing out if there has to be a forfeit, here's what happens. Mm -hmm. Was there specific language that there would not be postponements? Well, the forfeit, I think that's what people are irritated about. Because that's completely different. Language. That's completely because... different, though. And we talked about this on the show last night. Um, Emmett Golden was in, and I reached out to Graziano and Seifert, and they said, listen, that, that language remains, but it's just highly unlikely that that would happen. They did use that language to try to push people to get vaccinated and make sure. the right choices, because if an unvaccinated person causes a spread and then yada, yada. At this point, because there are so many vaccinated players able to get this 
you know, because Delta and Omicron are so transmissible, it is affecting even unvac or even vaccinated folks. So that's not likely to happen, nor would the, the extreme punishment that they laid out be likely to happen. But I don't think there was language that said we're never going to postpone games. And I think something like what Baker Mayfield was frustrated about is sour grapes. Being mad that you were told you likely wouldn't be tested and then them saying, holy cow, things are completely out of control. We're going to test. And then you're positive. You're positive. Like you're that, that's it's it's kind of like when Donald Trump said, well, if we stop testing, we'd get less positive results. Yeah, but that doesn't change whether people are positive or not. Like you can be frustrated that you thought one thing was going to happen, but being mad at the NFL for testing more, especially when the NFLPA was pushing for that, I don't really get what leg Baker Mayfield's trying to stand on there. The NFL made it sound like they were not going to be willing to deal with the same thing that they had to deal with last year with the Steelers and Ravens game kept getting moved and moved. They didn't want to run into that situation again. So that's why there was the strict language in there about that we're not, you know, it's going to either be a forfeiture or – or, but it didn't or, say that. But that's how it was. That's how it was or not. It simply that's said how it was if perceived. there's a forfeit. Well, I mean, the, I mean, we know that the NFL was never going to really forfeit games, right? Like, I mean, the bottom line for these owners is that they want to get the money come hell or high water. It's just they had to be forced into this situation where it's like, all right, fine, we'll we'll make this accommodation and deal with the consequences on the back end. That, but it, in that original language, it that's sorry, my uh, computer started playing Christmas music. Um, in that original language, I'm, I'm reading from it right now. Um, it says if a game can't be rescheduled because of an outbreak with unvaccinated players, then they will forfeit and be credited with if it can't be rescheduled. Not we will not reschedule, not we're going to try not to reschedule. So I think it's a whole lot of people that are frustrated and for, for partly good reason and quickly, here's what Adam Schefter said about one of the reasons that the teams who are not most responsible for the postponements are angry. Essentially these teams are tested on Monday. So as one of the teams said to me, when we go through testing on Monday, what if we now lose players Monday that can't play Tuesday because we were accommodating the other team and we had these guys ready to play on Sunday. So these teams are very concerned going into the testing process that they could be penalized. And now, as you mentioned, will be on short weeks in week 16 because other teams were having issues with COVID. Like, that totally makes sense to me. That would be incredibly frustrating. It would be terrible luck. Um, I, I think, to your point, you understand that it's really complicated and it's hard for everyone to keep up. But I think a lot of the belly aching is people who don't understand, as, as we've been pointed out a million times, it's just fluid. It's going to keep changing. And denying the severity of what's going on now doesn't solve anything. No, not at all. And, I mean, to Adam's point... Week 16 only gets that much more complicated, too, because yeah. you're on a short week. And we mm -hmm. don't – like, the one thing that is, I guess, kind of a good thing is the, the transmission rate on the field has been very right. low as far as we know. In terms of team so, to team. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, you, so you hope that it's not like, okay, if, if your team doesn't have an outbreak, you play the game on Monday, and then the Raiders come back and they're dealing with a bunch of cases. You hope that at least that that part holds up and, and kind of – goes according to the way it's been the rest of the season but who knows at this point considering it's how ever-changing this thing is straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless no contract no compromise coming up another impact of all the covid cases somebody's coming back and not everybody's excited for him to return it's next you're listening to the spain and fitz podcast Well, if you're annoyed about us talking about how covid is affecting the nfl good news we're going to talk about Kyrie now Oh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, 
Courtney Cronin on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. I think uh, I think Courtney summed it up well in her tweet promoting the show. Crashing headfirst into the finish line at the end of this cluster F week. Uh, that's about right. Um, I'm having so much deja vu, Courtney, whether it's um, moments in recent months where it felt like I need the news to stop. Right, I, it's, it's too much right now. I just need a boring day of no news. Um, or even all the way back to last year in March when we first put everything on pause and we just didn't quite know how to handle things. I think there's a lot of questions, even from people who have been keeping up with all of the COVID stuff and feel relatively informed on all of this to really know, should things be completely on pause? There's conversations about whether players who are um, asymptomatic but test positive should be allowed to play anyway. I think that's a terribly slippery slope in terms of the mm-hmm. the impression that it leaves on the on the general public. Will people start self-diagnosing as, well, I don't think my symptoms are bad, so I'm not going to quarantine. And now we're out spreading it and not telling. I mean, it's it's complicated. And the addition of Kyrie Irving into this... Uh, the idea that we would take an unvaccinated person and put them into a COVID outbreak swarm to somehow fix things, anything, is uh, kind of absurd. I mean, this is this is capitalism at its finest, right? Because the Brooklyn Nets are hurt. I mean, we saw Kevin Durant go into Superman mode the other night when he was one on five and just was absolutely terrific. They're 21 and eight. They've got the best record in the Eastern Conference, but they're down seven players due to health and safety protocols, which also includes James Harden. So why not bring Kyrie Irving back? I mean, the guy who's the most unvaxxed guy in the in the NBA, let's just make an exception for him, and he's going to be a part-time player, road games only, if I, if I understand that correctly. So I am in the pr- moment right now of trying to process this in real time and see how it makes sense, other than it's just a matter of a business decision for the Nets to try to get somebody back who's been on ice because he's been in a vaccine holdout for months. Yeah, it, it's a business decision. It's, uh, you know, Steve Nash said flat out the other night, I don't see any other way for our team to move forward without Kevin Durant playing 48 minutes a night. And that's not tenable, particularly with a guy who's coming off a very grave injury that kept him out for a season plus. Brooklyn Nets released a statement today about Kyrie. After discussions with our coaches, players, and staff, the organization has decided to have Kyrie Irving rejoin the team for games and practices in which he is eligible to participate. That obviously means practices because they petitioned to have uh, their practice facility deemed an office space, so he is allowed to go there despite it being in the state of New York, but he cannot play in an indoor stadium in, you know, in games in New York, but he can play on the road in states that allow it. We've arrived at this decision with the full support of our players and after careful consideration of our current circumstances, including players missing games due to injuries and health and safety protocols. We believe that the addition of Kyrie will not only make us a better team, but allow us to more optimally balance the physical demand on the entire roster. We look forward to Kyrie's return to the lineup as well as our entire roster getting back together on the court. This is complicated for a number of reasons. One, of course, being that this is a guy that they had already had this option and they decided we don't want this. We don't want you to be in and out. We don't want to mess with team chemistry. We don't want to set a precedent for a guy who's basically prioritizing himself and his own uninformed beliefs over what's right for the team, what's right for the league, what's right for his friends and family, the staff members of the team, etc. And now they're in a situation where everything else is so up in the air that they're just like, ah, F it. We'll just Mm -hmm. see what happens. Let's throw them in there and hope things, you know, cross our fingers and toes. 
And I wonder, is there is there a stopping point for this experiment, Courtney? Can you close Pandora's box if a month or two from now the, the spread is not an issue, everybody's fine, they've got all their players healthy, and then they say, okay, Kyrie, go back to sitting at home with your crystals? Well, January 1st is when the new mayor-elect of New York City, Eric Adams, takes office, and he said he doesn't intend to end the mandate when he when he becomes the mayor. So we know that it's going to continue from, from that perspective. I don't know. I mean, they've got so many players right now in the COVID-19 protocol, which doesn't really make sense that you're going to bring back an unvaxxed player who is more susceptible, as science has proven, to getting the COVID-19 virus um, and putting him into the mix and, you know, potentially like make it, r- risking everybody else's health and safety in the meantime. So do you wait until the seven can come back and then say, okay, Kyrie, you can go back to whatever you were doing um, mm. in the meantime? I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's setting a great precedent. And, is, and like, will this take place around the, like, around the rest of the league. Like I will be completely transparent. Like I don't know if there are any other NBA players who have as staunch of a stance as Kyrie. Maybe we just don't hear about it as much, but like it feels like you're moving the goalpost way too much for to accommodate one player who has been an absolute thorn in your side mm-hmm. this entire time and very difficult and honestly like just like a pain in the butt this entire time with this whole thing with COVID knowing that it's been hurting his team, his absence, not being there, coming off a season where he was in and out of the lineup due to injury and hurting his team because of that. So I kind of don't really, – I've never really had sympathy for Kyrie Irving in this situation. I'm kind of irritated that the Nets are turning to this. But, again, they're trying to keep their 21-8 and record from becoming 21-18 and because they lose games because they have so many players in the protocol and they're relying on Kevin Durant or even worse if Kevin Durant got injured. And then, you know, what situation would they be in? ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Worth noting, by the way, that we all understand and sort of accept that sports are a business, that it's big business and a lot of money can be made or lost, postponing, canceling games, etc. And so there is this sort of, well, they feel desperate, so they're bringing back Kyrie. But not only is he, as I mentioned, um, a safety risk to his teammates, coach, staff, etc., but friends and family and everybody else. And in other businesses, the amount of sacrifices made during this global pandemic that have cost millions, billions even, because we understand that we're all in this together, it is pretty frustrating and infuriating that somebody who has chosen to be selfish and make a pandemic about him instead of about the greater good is now being afforded this because of the money situation and the capitalism at play. Sports aren't any different than anywhere else, and we shouldn't be giving them a buy on this. Coming up, more perspective on NFL COVID coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on a Friday. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And as we've said through the first couple segments of the show, we have a lot of questions for our next guest, Kevin Seifert, ESPN NFL writer, always on top of the rule changes, the policy changes, protocols, etc. And let's just start with one of them I had off the top, Kevin. Do you know how they're deciding which games are to be postponed? You look at teams like the Bears and the Ravens where there are a significant number of players on that COVID list that have not had the game postponed. What's the, what's the metric there they're using? Yeah. Last year, you know, the threshold was pretty clear. It was if there was an uncontrolled outbreak on the team, in other words, that 
people were getting it and the next day more people were getting it and they were doing contact tracing and it they knew that there had been more exposures and they had to wait and see whether uh, those exposures also uh, got COVID. And so that was pretty clear. This year it has not been explained quite as clearly. Um, they did refer to uh, medical advice today. So uh, if I had to make an educated guess, I would say that their threshold is that the outbreak is big enough that they can't say for sure that there aren't going to be another five tomorrow or another six the next day and and so on and so forth and so they if they when they take the field they want to have a pretty good idea that whoever was going to get it has either already gotten it or isn't going to get it uh, or whoever was exposed is either going to get it or not get it and so i think that's sort of the threshold that they're looking at this year as well so quick follow-up on that. Last year was pretty clear, even though we fought about this and spent hours screaming and yelling about this on the air. It was, for instance, in the case of the Broncos, it was a controlled spread. It was in one room. It was quarterbacks. It was very unfortunate, but it wasn't going to anyone else on the team. The other teams that had games postponed, it was an uncontrolled spread that they knew had not yet, they had kept finding new causes and new cases. Um, that isn't as clear-cut this year as what you're saying, right? They're not making it clear that that's how they decide? They have not made that clear. Um, you know, the, the one thing that we they have made clear is that they are still not going to make decisions based on competitive equity. Like last year with the Broncos, all four quarterbacks were out. Uh, it left them the Broncos in a very bad spot, and they got uh, beat pretty good by the Saints in that game. And this year they they were saying they were not going to do that either. And I think that's why they referenced medical advice today. Um, you know, if a team loses a bunch of players or loses a couple quarterbacks, that in itself is not supposed to be a reason why the NFL uh, is going to move games. Because if they, I think they feel if they go down that road, then they're going to be under pressure to move every game anytime a significant player is out. And so they made clear to them in, the, in today's memo that you're obligated to have a team ready to play. It may not be uh, your, all your top line players, but uh, as long as it's medically safe in the minds of the experts, the NFL and the NFLPA are consulting that you're going to play um, in the game, no matter who, what the identities of the players are who are unavailable. Dr. Alan Sills said something yesterday that's really interesting when he was talking about where we are with this virus. Mm -hmm. He called it a really different phase. Cause I remember when the NFL and NFLPA sent the memo out at the beginning of training camp when the Delta variant was just starting to come to the United States and, and, and really wipe through locker rooms, you know, it felt contained at that point. But now it feels like we're in a new phase of this disease where we just don't know where this is going to go. So how does the league, how do you think the league handles this the next four weeks as we kind of enter these uncharted territories? Cause I know that everybody at the end of now through the end of week 15 is in the intensive protocols. Even the teams that were in it were out of it and now back in it. But how do you envision this going? Like, are we going to be looking at like everything being virtual? Like, is it going to potentially affect fans being at games? How do you envision this going? Yeah, I don't think it's going to affect fans because that is typical, unless the local uh, government or the state uh, where that team is says that, you can't have gatherings that big. And that's always a possibility. I don't think the NFL will mandate that. Uh, you know, it's what Sill said also is that it's almost like they are fighting another disease. And that really also triggered in my head that they're going to be looking at it from both perspectives. Like, is this harder? You know, what are the things that we 
need to do to contain it, but also what are the things we don't need to do anymore? And I think that's why you're hearing a fair bit of discussion about how much they should be testing and, and who they should be testing. Um, if, in fact, they decide that this, this strain of the disease is uh, less serious, it's having less serious impact, uh, and they've kind of hinted at that already by noting how many uh, people that have tested positive this week are asymptomatic or have very mild symptoms. I think they said two-thirds have ace, uh, no symptoms, and the other third is is pretty uh, pretty mild in the words of Dr. Sills. And if that's the case, then do those people really need to be sidelined if you're totally asymptomatic and feeling fine? And if it's determined medically that you're not contagious at that point, you know, maybe that, that would be a, re- a, 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 a motivation or an incentive to pull back the testing and say, okay, one way we can get through the season is uh, only testing symptomatic uh people as long as they're vaccinated. If you're unvaccinated, you're still going to get tested every day and you're going to be under different protocols. But in terms of getting through the season with the anticipation that what's happened to these three teams this week could potentially happen to three different teams next week, um, I think that's in terms of where they're going. They're, they're looking not only at, at the things they have to do to contain it, but maybe certain things they have been doing won't be necessary. And I'm not necessarily advocating for that. I don't know the science behind it, but I know that's what they're looking at and thinking about. And it may be, it might be the way they go is, is there's certain protocols that aren't necessary anymore and can be dropped based on the, uh, the, the, the medical advice of their experts uh, of this particular strain. Kevin Seifert, ESPN NFL writer with us here on Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz today. Uh, talk to us about the Mesa test that they specifically discuss in the ways for players to return. There's three ways that players can return. Tell us those. And then, and then is Mesa just their specific term for a rapid test? It's a, it's a rapid PCR test. Got um, it. Okay. So it's, it's not antigen uh, like, like we would go, you know, most people would go. Um, it's a, it's a special test that they actually were involved in the development of. And so I guess, I guess the way to, to think about this, uh, new return to play protocol, which for now is just for this week, is that you don't necessarily need a negative test. Um, there, if you test negative uh, twice uh, and it can be in the same day, then you're, you can get back in. Um, but even if you don't, they're looking at, you know, not to get too technical because I don't know if I totally understand it, but they're looking at some readings that you get from the uh, from the, these tests, whether it's PCR or Mesa PCR or whatever, that if if they reach a certain threshold, you're no longer contagious, and you might it might actually trigger a positive reading, but you're medically speaking not contagious, and so you can come back uh, right about the viral load basically. as well. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. And I was I was cautioned that viral load is not the right term, but I don't know if anyone said what the right term is. But anyway. Um, uh, <laughs> I uh, I think and so like we don't know how much quickly how how, how quicker that's going to get people back, but the thought is that um, now that they can be more precise in determining not so much whether you're negative or positive, but whether you're contagious, and as long as you don't have symptoms, you can potentially come back quicker than what they were uh, allowing under the previous protocol, and so that's um, it'll take some time, a few days at least, to see whether that pays any dividends, but it's a little bit of a triage protocol for now, um, given the surge that they had. 
also worth noting that it's affecting the sports books and uh, I'm about as qualified to speak on that as, as you are to discuss uh, viral load and the you know percentages <laughs> in those tests. But it is fascinating how, as that's become a more accepted and legal thing, um, how tough it is for them to make decisions. It used to just be us moaning about our fantasy and people behind the scenes complaining about how it's affecting gambling. But now it's front and center as they try to keep up with postponements and who's available and all of that. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for the insight. Uh, you would never anticipate it, I would imagine, when you took this job that you would have to do so much work um, in, in stuff in, in the science and, and medicine world. But <laughs> that's that's where we are now. So I appreciate you keeping us up to date with all of it. Well, I appreciate it, and thanks for having me. Kevin Seifert, ESPN NFL writer. That's the guy that I text when I need anything about the very specifics of NFL rules, protocols, all of that. He He's the guy who always knows it. Um, and there have been a lot of changes in the last week. And that last one uh, we'll get into a little later in the show again about the idea that technically you could be positive and play um, it, it, that's complicated. ESPN NFL writer Kevin Seifert brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, I didn't think it was real. I thought this can't be real. There's no way this is real. It turned out it was real. I'm going to tell you what it is next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Courtney, this is the great moment in Vikings history that you stumbled upon on Twitter. The way just casually threw out that a young boy was in a hot air balloon that rose up out of the stadium and over the fans and the lights and then traveled and then dumped him in a frozen river. It's just amazing to me how nonchalant it seems that this whole thing was treated at the stadium. It's like, oh, he's back. Okay, cool. Let's just dry him off and rub some dirt on it and, and get back out there. <laughs> Want to catch the um, end of the game, kid? This is Spain and Fitz. Yeah, that uh, that was one of my favorite moments on this show. I'm not going to lie. Uh, that story about the boy in the balloon and the fact that the Vikings had other balloon-related disasters in their history, which led to a, a guy living in the stadium for the Eagles and uh, uh, that whole story about the... Uh, what was the name of the, the cheerleaders? The Embraceable Use. The, oh, the, the Vikings them and, and the, the Vikings the, and the Embraceable Use <laughs> yeah. for oh. the... For the Rams. the Rams. The Rams, of course, they're ewes. You know, they're female sheep. Uh, all of that <laughs> was delightful for me. I believe it was last. Uh, how long ago was that? That Who was Tuesday say? when the world was Thank not you. as crazy as Thank it is you. now. Like, I wish we could go uh, back to that time where we were talking we about Balloon Boy. Yeah, exactly. Not COVID cases. Uh, if you can, go find the Spain and Fitz podcast from Tuesday. Listen to the second segment. Listen to the last segment. Have a little fun with us. We could all use it right now. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz again tonight here on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget, you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football bowl season is here and fans are hyped. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Uh, let's have a little fun right now because the Giants gave us an opportunity today. Uh, the Giants, who have not been given their fans much of an opportunity for fun this season, um, did by way of their fan appreciation night. Yes, those poor souls who have season tickets to the Giants and somehow chose to buy season tickets for the Giants are being rewarded this Sunday at the game. What a delight. And, and what they're getting is a free medium soda. Now, my response to that was, this can't be real. Uh, not because I would be surprised by 
any company or team kind of, you know, barely thrown employees a bone for everything they've been through. In fact, someone tweeted me and said his giant company that makes tons of money had a uh, employee appreciation day and they gave everyone a cookie and a bottle of water, <laughs> which at this point, um, it did better to do nothing at all. Um, it's just that when you're the giants and you have the reputation that they have, and they're probably going to start another rebuild. I really think you'd be better off not even doing it than medium soda. Like that's just a slap in the face of the people who are showing up to watch that dribble. Well, and it's coming off a couple days ago, a report from SNY that Joe Judge is going to be back for another year next year. Mm -hmm. So you're delaying the inevitable. And I have a lot of issues with this. First off, your partnerships group, I think that we need some turnover in this department because medium soda is mm -hmm. the best you can do. We can't even get a large. <laughs> we can't get a popcorn. We can't get a hot dog with this. So I've just got to go sit and shiver, shiver my tail off uh, at the Meadowlands this weekend and have a medium soda in my hand doing it. On top of that, and, and I know that not everybody is educated enough to have my take on this, but Peps, MetLife Stadium is a Pepsi stadium. They are the official yeah. soft drink mm -hmm. of the New York Giants and the New York mm -hmm. Jets. So you're going to be watching that awful on-field product while having a, a, an inferior soda in your hand. Like, do you think that it might be like maybe 10% better if it was a Diet Coke? Because I, I sure do. And I, I do, do wonder if a team that would have like either Dr. Diet Dr. Pepper, Diet Coke, like would they make the same decisions to draft a running back as high as they did if they had a better soda company leading the way? I don't know. I just think there are a lot of things, moving parts here that, you know, factor into the overall big picture for the New York Giants that make me question things. That is my computer again. I, I don't know why I keep playing music. music in the middle of the show. Perhaps my computer is secretly trying to make sure we're having fun during this show because it does feel like you said the end of a cluster F of a week and everything <laughs> is so serious that my computer keeps chiming in with like, want to dance? But do you want to dance? Um, if I were on Levitard, I would be fined multiple times for that. I apologize. Uh, Spain and Fit, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in. I do think that it matters that it's Pepsi products because literally their tagline should be, is Pepsi okay? And usually the answer is no. <laughs> like uh, we were at, I won't name the name of the facility. It was a nice place, but we were there for a recent work-related event a couple months ago. They were a Pepsi place and I literally walked a half an hour. And while I was walking to a place to get coffee, I had orders from multiple people at the hotel to bring back a Coke. <laughs> Because they just, mm -hmm. they just, they needed the real thing. Um, a bunch of people chimed in on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on this one. At Costa underscore 41. Uh, this is proof that it isn't the thought that counts. I agree with you. <laughs> nothing would be better. It would be better to do nothing than to tell fans, thank you for your thousands of dollars of of, uh, of season tickets. Here's a medium Pepsi. And, and uh, that's the thing that like stresses me out. Like, they're one of the most storied franchises mm -hmm. in the NFL. Yes. They have a lot of money. The Tish family and the Mara family can splurge for the extra large. Like, Why is it a medium? That's just so yeah. chintzy. It makes my skin crawl. Uh, at John DeRocher, one said, to be fair, it is $25 for a medium Coke at MetLife, uh, which uh, probably <laughs> it's New York after all. At C since, well, it's technically New Jersey, but you know what I mean. At C since 93, can they really give away 50 free sodas? That's going to hurt their bottom line. Uh, yeah, that would be sad if they only had 50 season ticket holders and uh, the uh, profits and losses of this year after another bad season. Maybe, maybe it is a reach for them to offer that up. Uh, at K 
King underscore Koopa Loop hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation. Said for Lions fan appreciation day, they just get blown out early so we don't have to suffer through a last second field goal loss instead. That's nice. See, that's nice of the Lions. That's a much more appropriate way to honor your season ticket holders. Uh, Somebody else just posted the clip from National Lampoon's Christmas and that person is 100% right. This has extreme jelly of the month club energy. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? He thinks yes. he's getting the big bonus. He tells the whole family about the pool. He's very excited. The envelope comes in. Oh, you see, Clark, you know, it was just delayed. Everything's great. Everyone's so excited. And then it's the jelly of the month club. And then, you know, the boss gets kidnapped and yada, yada, watch the movie. It's great. This has jelly of the month club energy for sure. I just wonder, like, I hope people don't don't throw the um, throw the cups on the field in protest when they're down like 20, <laughs> 29 to zero at halftime to Dallas, because, you know, let's face it, these Giants fans are in a, con- a perennial state of rebuilding. And when you hear that the head coach who has made this mis- entire season a giant comedy um, in, in calling good like a nine point offensive performance and the loss to the Miami Dolphins mm-hmm. progress. Oh, man, that's, that tastes like flat Pepsi without ice to me. <laughs> I hope Pepsi's not a sponsor. I you know. I, mean, I don't know. Who, Courtney, who owns Dr. Really, Pepper? I'm I sorry. I don't know, but you've really, you really dug yourself quite a hole here on the influencer opportunities. I don't know. Just like, you know. You I just don't wanna, like it. I'm you with you. Like, give me water open. instead. Listen, there are a lot of things that I don't drink or eat and haven't for upwards of two decades, and I just – Try not to mention it too often just in case that money comes in. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to, you know, tell people wrong things if they ask. But I just try not to mention it too often just in case. Um, I might suggest you do the same with Pepsi. There's just a correlation between the official soft drink sponsor of MetLife Stadium and the on-field product of both teams. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, Good stuff from Michael Lee here. He's a sports enterprise reporter for The Post. Cramming to understand how Nets fans are supposed to be excited about Kyrie Irving's possible return when the organization decided the best time to toss aside its principles and bring back an unvaccinated player as a part-timer is during the biggest COVID outbreak to hit the NBA. Uh, It's all facts. Uh, It's all facts. It's... A little complicated. We'll get into that again later, and we'll talk about how the rest of the sports world continues to be upset by the biggest COVID hit we've seen since the beginning. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Guest join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Unfortunately... Sports news dominated by how COVID is affecting the biggest leagues as the NFL had to postpone, move three games to Monday and Tuesday because of teams impacted by high numbers of players and coaches on the COVID list. The NBA uh, reeling as, as they have had teams like the Bulls have to postpone a couple of games. And now the Nets announcing Kyrie will be back to play in games outside New York in states where he is allowed to participate, will practice with the team at their facility. They got uh, the ability to team to deem that an office uh, so that he's able to participate. Um, lots of questions around that decision. And then the NHL, which is also suffering its own incredible 
uh, wave of COVID. Emily Kaplan, our ESPN NHL reporter, crushed it on SVP last night. She was on SportsCenter again today with the latest. And this update is not just about how the NHL season will be impacted, but the incredibly hard-fought right for players to compete in the Olympics for their home countries if they wanted looks very dire right now as well. So, Elle, I talked to people in the league office today, and they described it as triage mode. They are hoping to avoid a full-on pause at all costs. However, things are looking pretty grim, especially with so many new cases popping up in three teams now on pause until the end of the Christmas break. Now, guys in the league, some of them are frustrated. They're saying, why don't we just stop testing altogether? There's other guys who are frustrating and saying, why don't we go on pause altogether? This is ridiculous. But the league really wants to keep going, especially because so many of the players that have tested positive are asymptomatic and have mild symptoms. So they added new protocols. They're pretty intense. And they're hopeful that we can get through this challenging period with those new protocols through January 7th. That said, things are looking pretty dire. I imagine they're also sort of looking down the calendar, right? How could this potentially impact the NHL's participation in the Olympics in February? So the NHL has an opt-out deadline of January 10th to pull out of the Olympics without any financial penalty. And they will do that if they feel like their schedule has been materially impacted by COVID. When I talked to sources today, they said, we are nearing that cliff if we haven't gotten over that cliff already. The translation there is it's looking very unlikely that players are going to go to the Olympics, especially the way things are trending. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a lot to take in, Courtney, but I think obviously we don't cover NHL at the minute detail. Uh, and on this show, we often have Emily come in and tell us the latest, but um, man, if this doesn't start to feel like last year in March as we scramble to figure out what the right move was. Yeah, and the NHL has been pretty proactive in postponing games for, you know, through, through the next couple of weeks. And the Colorado Avalanche and the Florida Panthers games uh, are now postponed through December 26th. And certainly different with the NHL just starting, you know, just like the NBA. They've got a long way to go till they get to their playoffs. And the NFL, on the other hand, is four weeks left in the regular season. So you can understand with the amount of games they have and trying to control the spread – but, like, they're a league that likes to tout its high vaccination rate, and they're still experiencing outbreaks on a lot of teams. I mean, look at the Calgary Flames. Like, I'm looking at the list right now, um, and there's, like, 22 players on it. I mean, it's just every single yeah. team, it feels like, is dealing with this, whether you're in the NHL, the NBA, the NFL. But the it, it does feel, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but it kind of feels that the NHL is taking a more proactive approach to try to curb this instead of powering through. Yeah, and, and I think all the leagues are sort of doing it based on um, a combination, of course, of what they think is feasible in terms of putting players out there, keeping them out there and not just continuing to roll through an uncontrolled spread, like putting in place some of the increased protocols that they used to have that they had lessened. Um, and, and I want to say this, and I think most wise people know this, Courtney, and I don't mean that in a condescending way, but I mean people who are informed and who are trying to keep up with the news and are wise enough to be reading on a daily basis instead of still having talking points from six to eight months ago. When these decisions were made, they were made with the amount of information we had at the time. And at the mm -hmm. time, vaccinations were providing excellent um, support against COVID. It was, you know, you're five times less likely to get it. You were less likely to suffer serious symptoms, all of that stuff. What we're seeing with Delta and Omicron is like 
not starting over, but as you talked about with the, with the language used by by Dr. Sills in the NFL, it's almost like we're fighting a new disease. You have to you have to reevaluate all the decisions and protocols you put in place because it's not operating and acting in the same manner as the previous strains were. And that doesn't mean vaccinations don't work. In fact, now more than ever, it's incredibly important to be vaccinated and boosted because of how you can protect against the most deleterious and serious effects of this of this virus. Um, But it does mean that what they thought about vaccinated players and their ability to remain um, negative and their ability not to spread and everything else has changed with the strains. And that's why. I do think there's a bit of scrambling going on. And I think even at the highest levels, maybe not the doctors, but the decision makers, there's an exhaustion the way that we all have it when you're two years into something like this. And it's harder to feel as vigilant as it was two years ago when we first started to try to figure out what the effects might be. Yeah, And then you have people who are in positions of power, at least people who are in positions of influence, bringing up the thought of, well, maybe we should just not test players. Maybe right. we should just like, you know, like Emily stop just testing. Said, some of the players just stop testing. Yeah. No, nope, that's like, not the answer. In, or like the ones who are asymptomatic, like let them play anyways. There's no yeah, real evidence right. of transmission on the field. Like how dangerous is that? Yeah. And such a slippery slope to even like suggest that something like that would be feasible. Like I just, I don't, and maybe this is just me. I didn't understand when the NFL was talking about less testing this week. When you go back into intensive protocols, why aren't you testing everybody just at the same clip? Like, okay, vaccinated players, unvaccinated yes, players. Agreed. Let's just make – just cover your bases. Like, what's, yeah. what's the harm in that? It's I know it's money. expensive. Right, I it's get money. It. And it's that's, ex- why, that's why there's been this beef between the NFLPA and the league because the PA has said, we've been wanting daily testing all along, and you've pushed back on it. And I, I do think that what's tough about this, probably the, one of the toughest, Courtney, is that everybody kind of signed up for one thing. And to, to no one's fault, they now have to re-up for something else without really having a choice, right? We all It's sort of like why we, we were so frustrated with Aaron Rodgers having lied about his vaccination status is that everybody in the rooms with you decided that they were in for something on the belief that you were vaccinated. And mm-hmm. you, you didn't give them the choice to decide, do I want to be in a room with an unvaccinated person you know, who's making choices and going to parties and doing all this stuff. That's kind of how this feels, right? If you're the players and you said, we wanted daily testing and you wouldn't give it to us. So, okay, we agree to this based on all of these other things. Well, now things are very different and you're right. It shouldn't matter if you're vaccinated or not. There should be testing every day. And that should be the priority as we watch these spreads feel uncontrollable. You need to be able to keep as close an eye as possible on when things are getting out of control. Yeah. And it just kind of feels like they are like the NFL, through the rest of week 15 is going back into intensive protocols. A team that I cover for ESPN.com, the Minnesota Vikings just got out of the intensive protocol. I believe it was on Wednesday or Tuesday, and now they're back into it like all teams are. But the thing is, it's kind of interesting. According to this article that Dan Graziano has up at ESPN.com, that's like mandatory mask wearing in team facilities, social distancing, grab and go meal service, uh, all virtual meetings, limit on the number of people out in weight rooms, uh, restrictions on activities. Yet when I asked about this today, I was told, no, we're not in all virtual meetings. We're spreading out throughout the facility because mm. that's what the NFL is allowing. So like, mm. what is it? It feels like every team is up to its own interpretation of this. Right. And then, of course, you know, from and people will say that, like, the media doesn't matter in any of this. But there has not been one case that has been that has been reported that has been transmitted from a vaccinated. We all have to be vaccinated media member 
to an unvaccinated or vaccinated player. Yet now a lot of teams around the NFL are going all virtual on media availability. It kind of feels like it's a complete double standard and they're picking and choosing which protocols, which things they want to enforce. And that one's really unfortunate. So I really hope that we don't end up being back in the place that we were December, January of 2020, 2021. But it feels like we're teetering that line right now. And it's really unfortunate. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. If your pet passenger is injured in a car accident, get help paying for vet expenses. Pet protection comes free with auto collision coverage. Get a quote at Progressive.com. Coming up, we'll get to some of the reaction around the league to today's postponements. One team in particular, not very happy. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance on a fry. Yay! We're just trying to get to the weekend. We are working for the weekend right now. It has been a long week, and I guess the weekend got a little longer for anyone playing for or covering the Raiders, because now instead of Saturday game, it's Monday. So your coverage, your pre- previewing, everything else gets extended. And uh, Monday night for the Raiders game, Vic Tafer, the athletic senior writer who covers the team, joins us now to talk about some really frustrated players for the Raiders. And, and Vic, Obviously, the decision needs to be made that's best for the safety of the players and the teams, the likeliness of containing a spread that might be uncontrolled, et cetera. But I do realize that, you know, if something goes down with the Raiders and sometime between now and Monday, they suddenly have positive players that otherwise would have been able to go on Saturday. That's really frustrating that you accommodate another team and it affect your ability to play. Yeah, I think you can see why the Raiders, I mean, the players and the coaches, the owners are all pretty upset. I mean, obviously, safety first. Everyone wants everyone to be okay, and that trumps everything. But I think, you know, the league had made a point to say this year there'd be no postponements, and I think the Raiders had so much trouble last year with the COVID stuff. They got fined like $800,000 last year, and this year they've been really good. I think they only have two cases all year long. Uh, The Browns have, what, 22, so they would think that they wouldn't, you know, I don't want to use the word punished, but they wouldn't be punished for it. The Browns having trouble with with it, so I think they feel like it was uh, unfair what happened today. Do they think it's a conflict of interest too that the NFLPA president is J.C. Treader and he plays actively right now for the Cleveland Browns that they made this decision? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's definitely a big part of it. I think Casey here would tweet that out. A bunch of players mentioned it to me. I think like well, we've all watched enough Law and Order to know that you can recuse yourself if you have like you know some uh, some bias. I think there clearly is a case where you could say. Uh, he definitely has uh, some, you know, some, uh, I can't think of the phrase, but whatever. He, you know, he has, has interest in, in the whole thing. So I think that uh, is also a little, uh, another part of a little fishy. Vic Tafer of The Athletic is with us here talking Raiders. You mentioned that they were under the impression there wouldn't be postponements. Courtney kind of said that earlier. Everything that I saw was simply about the, what would happen in the very extreme case of a forfeit. Um, not that they would not postpone. Um, where, where do you think that idea got to players and why do you think they had it so set in their heads that there would be no way because it actually says in the language if a forfeit is required because there is no way to reschedule not we're not going to reschedule but if it's too difficult to there was a memo i don't have in front of me there was a memo from the league in in, i think it was july it said that uh barring like the government getting involved or a medical emergency they wouldn't uh they wouldn't postpone games that's why they have you know 16 man practice squads for this kind of thing so I, I get it. There's been a lot of, you know, a lot of rule changes and people are trying to, to adjust to all things that's, that's been going on. So I think there hasn't been a consistent policy throughout. I think that's part of the problem, maybe, where things have been moving. It's a moving target. I understand it's a pandemic, but 
I think in their mind, uh, they looked at what was said and looked at the extra, you know, the huge practice squads that each team has now. I think they were under the impression that, uh, you know, barring an outbreak, uh, that the game would be played on Saturday. Mark Davis, the Raiders owner, said that maybe the Browns should fly to Las Vegas. He's citing about the competitive disadvantage that, sure, health and safety is number one, but the Raiders don't have an outbreak right now, yet they're accommodating a team that does. Was there any serious thought given to that, or how far did those conversations have, or is this just, you know, like an owner who's who's ticked right now and trying to trying to air some air some grievances? Yeah, I think he's just venting. I think he definitely feels as a, you know, like you said, competitive disadvantage. Which, uh, but as far as moving the game, that wasn't going to happen. I think you know, tickets have been sold, whatever, and I think that's all been done. But I just think that in their mind, either you, know, you play the game on Saturday, or and nobody wants to forfeit. But based on the way the rules were said, maybe you have to do a forfeit. I don't think the moving the game back a couple of days really solves any problems for anybody. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio. The athletic senior writer Vic Tafer, who covers the Raiders, is with us here. Talking about this game that's now been moved to Monday, Raiders and Browns. Let's just talk on the football side. This Raiders team, a roller coaster of a season for a number of reasons. Lots of off-the-field drama, issues with coaches and players, but also just some disappointing efforts after they started off so strong. What can you point to as the number one reason that their hot start became another disappointing season? Well, I think the, probably the biggest thing was the Henry Ruggs, you know, car crash. Um, where he got drunk and killed someone, I think, and got released. I think that was – he had really taken steps this year to become like a, you know, a top-end receiver guy that could, you know, require double teams and keep teams honest and down deep the field, make big plays down the field. So I think that was a huge loss for them as far as their offensive philosophy, what they could do. Darren Waller's been hurt a lot also recently. So you lose your two biggest weapons on offense, and then what was your strength of your team has now become kind of a weakness. What's up with their defensive line? I mean, there was like at one point of the season, it felt like Unique Ngakwe, Max Crosby, those players were, were, were freed up to get after the quarterback. Is it just teams keying in on them differently? But they're just like, at this point of the season, doesn't feel like they're per- playing particularly well. They're still getting some pressure. They haven't been as dominant as they were early on. I think that's probably because there's not a lot of help. I think there's not a lot of depth behind them. I think the guys inside have not been that great. And I think overall, the defense doesn't have a lot of. Uh, Standoff players. I mean, Haywood's had a good year at cornerback, and uh, Denzel Perriman's been a nice final linebacker from the Chargers. But other than those four, there's not much there on defense. So I think they kind of, uh, you know, Gus Bradley's kind of uh, done some good things this year. But at the end, it all comes down to uh, what talent you have, you know, to work with. Raiders sitting at six and seven, fourth in the AFC West, twelfth uh, right now in the sort of extremely long in the hunt picture for the playoffs Vic what kind of impression and we have about a minute or so left do you have of just how severe the overhaul might be in the offseason for this team yeah I think it's gonna be huge I think last week was kind of the last show which is why this whole thing is weird this was the game this weekend because I was in the race got some, some new hope because of the COVID stuff but the last week was the worst loss in the history of the rivalry with the Chiefs and I think Mark Davis realized he's got a clean house from the coach the GM to pretty much whatever he can think of he's Pretty much, uh, pretty unhappy with the way the season's gone this year.
Yeah, it's not surprising. And uh, a lot of public embarrassment. I, I, It was interesting, but I guess not surprising when Mark Davis announced they'd been awarded the Super Bowl for 2024. He said, it's nice to get some good news if you can't win on the field to get some wins off of it, which is just kind of depressing that you just have to lay it out there like that. But that's the reality right now um, for the Raiders. Uh, what's the expectation really quickly for, for Monday's game against the Browns? Is it too hard to predict when there's such a, a glut of players that are likely to miss? Yeah, at this point, I'm, I'm kind of assuming Mayfield will be back by, by Monday, so I think that's a huge deal. But um, I think that, you know, they obviously have offensive line problems also, so it's it's hard to say who will be available for the Browns, but definitely it's the last kind of last this game for the Raiders to make a stand and really, uh, if they believe they're a playoff team, they got to win on, on Monday. Okay. Great stuff, Vic. Really appreciate it. All right, guys. Take care. Vic Tafer, the athletic senior writer who covers the Raiders. Yeah. We were, we were talking about this memo that the NFL sent back in July, and for one, Courtney, I do think it's difficult to sort of hold their feet to the fire on something from months ago, even if you're frustrated that that, that um, is what they intended. But it does feel like they, they, they put a lot of language in there about trying to reschedule or we intend to or we don't anticipate. Um, and I think that's why it's really hard to sort of be angry with the league for this decision when it feels almost impossible to play when you got 22 players out. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, and it feels like it's maybe not it's ideal, communicated but... to the players wrong because yes. that's mm-hmm. like the that's the company line they're toting right now. I do think that communication is obviously a big part of why so many people are frustrated. Maybe they didn't understand what decision-making led to this. Tune into a football doubleheader Sunday as the Steelers host the Titans, followed by Packers at Ravens. Coverage begins at noon Eastern on select ESPN radio stations. As of now, that's happening Sunday. I can't promise anything after that. Uh, Coming up, Kyrie's return and COVID's impact on the NBA. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Friday! We are getting ever closer to the weekend, and we need it. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Going to head out to the Goodyear Hotline. Tom Haberstrow of Meadowlark Media and the Haber Show podcast with us. Tom, I want to talk about who's good in the NBA and why. I want to talk about the Bulls being back. But we have to start with the COVID stuff and the effects on the league. So the NBA seemed invested in getting ahead of this last year. They moved faster than other leagues on this. Are you surprised that right now we haven't really heard about a, a major pause or more postponements? No, actually, Sarah, when I talk to GMs, uh, coaches, players across the league, the sentiment that I get from them, the sense that I get is that this year they want to avoid missing games as much as possible. And that's why you're seeing Isaiah Thomas getting signed by the Los Angeles Lakers. And you're seeing Kyrie Irving uh, coming back to play on the road for the Brooklyn Nets is that they need bodies. They don't want to miss these games. And so they're letting these teams add players to their roster to make sure that they get these games in. And really what it comes down to is remembering the fact that the NBA is a business. It is not a public trust It is not a government agency. And so at the end of the day, both players and owners have been incentivized to keep these games going and getting these paychecks. I think the NFL is instructive in the sense that, you know, the Browns, you know, have this, you know, uh, an outbreak within their team. But at the end of the day, if they don't play these games, they're not going to get their paychecks. And that hurts both sides. And so I think both sides are motivated to get these games going. And the NBA is making sure that these teams have enough bodies to play but make no mistake about it this is about money this is about the bottom line this is about keeping fans as many fans as they can in the arena as safely as possible and making sure that they do not miss games that has been the soft mandate from the nba since the get-go 
So we know that Kyrie Irving is still in the midst, at least for now, of his COVID-19 vaccine holdout and that because of um, New York City's coronavirus vaccine mandate, like he has not been allowed to play games in New York, but the Nets are starting the process of bringing him back on this part-time basis. He'll be allowed to play in some road games. Do you know why? I mean, can you get like, the crux of why this is happening right now for the Nets? I know they have a lot of injuries, but how do they envision this working? Like, he's just going to play on the road. Like, is he going to be part of practice when they're back um, at home? How, do, how does that whole thing work out? Desperate times call for desperate measures. That's really what this is about, is they did not foresee this happening at the start of the season. They were very principled about this. Remember, before the preseason they said, look, we are not going to play him as a part-time player. You're either in or you're out. But the circumstances have definitely changed. I do not think for one second if James Harden was available and not in health and safety protocols that Kyrie Irving would be still sidelined. I think mm-hmm. it is a big deal that Kevin Durant, while he has won the last several games by himself as the lone star of the big three playing, I don't know how long Steve Nash and Joe Sy, the, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, and Sean Marks, the GM, want to keep continuing having this burden placed on Kevin Durant's shoulders without James Harden, without Kyrie Irving. So we have to remember, again, I'm going to state this again, in a capitalist society where this is an NBA business, it is a business, it is not a public trust, these principled actions about having Kyrie Irving being sidelined because they wanted to keep the team together and not have him as a part-time player, it's a sliding scale. At the time Mm -hmm. when he was deemed to be on the sideline, this was a different situation. And now that James Harden and half the team is out with COVID protocols and injuries, you're seeing that, hey, we're we're willing to, to compromise here and have Kyrie Irving play on the road. But Make no mistake about it. This is about the injuries and the players being absent. It is not about some sort of moral responsibility that they're feeling, um, that they're okay with what the stance is for for Kyrie Irving. It really is about the input of players that are sidelined. Well, it would be a lot to have Kevin Durant taking the minutes on uh, anyway, but knowing that we've seen that particular player in a position where he played through an injury and made it worse and had to miss all that time makes it even more difficult to sort of keep him out there. And then they did petition the state to have their practice facility essentially be considered a, an office instead of a, a entertainment facility, and that allows Kyrie Irving to practice at home, something that they weren't going to do when he wasn't going to play, but now, like you said, sliding scale, so Kyrie will be back. Interesting to see how he'll be uh, folded into that team. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. We're talking to Tom Haberstroh of the Haber Show podcast and Meadowlark Media. Okay, let's try, if we can, to suspend disbelief on everything going on Imagine that the teams are all facing some measure of players being out, but but let's actually address the basketball side of things. What would you say are your biggest surprises, both positive and negative, uh, whatever it is, 30 or so games into the season? Well, the biggest surprise has to be the Chicago Bulls, and I'm not just saying that because it's That's right, baby! That's right. We're <laughs> back, baby! Yeah, the Bulls are back, and DeMar DeRozan, uh, Lonzo Ball, this team has been fantastic from the from the get-go. And while I thought they'd be better this year because of the new additions, I didn't see these, these pieces fitting so coherently and being so robust early in the season. I think DeMar DeRozan, before he was out with COVID protocols, I mean, I think he had a real good shot at starting uh, or playing in the All-Star game, and we'll see what happens from here on out. But that has been 
the, uh, the the biggest story in the Eastern Conference is this team, the Chicago Bulls, are really exciting, really fun to watch. They have a lot of star power with uh, Vucevic and, and, and DeMar DeRozan and, and Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball, but we, we were questioning whether they'd be able to fit together overnight, and they seemingly have with Billy Donovan being the coach and getting those pieces playing really well together in the role players. So that's the biggest surprise for me in the East and, of course, in the Western Conference. I mean, Stephen Curry and what he's done with the Warriors, I was slamming, hammering the over on the, on the Warriors over under this season. A lot of people were cruel on them um, because of the fact that they hadn't been blowing the doors off of people last year. But Stephen Curry is the single most underrated superstar we've ever had in the NBA. And the reason for that is because he doesn't look like your average superstar. He's not seven feet tall. He's not even six eight. It's very rare to find someone that size dominate a game in which he has and it's because he has that slingshot he is the david against goliath with the slingshot of the three-pointer and that neutralizes everybody it is such a dominant shot we are we are i mean we watch him in madison square garden it is a transformative figure we're watching with stephen curry and this season with draymond green healthy and motivated this team is a definite title contender and i don't think a lot of people saw that this season but in my opinion they are the heavy favorites to win it all this season. And now, Clay Thompson might be back. Get ready. Buckle in. Mm. <laughs> There's only one other team. Um, I mean, the Warriors have the best defensive rating, according to NBA.com's advanced stat- stats. And there's one team below them that was kind of surprising when I was looking through it, like early season uh, surprises as a whole, and that is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like they haven't won more than 22 games since LeBron left in 2018, and they're 18 and 12 right now, and they're winning with their defense. How are they able to do that? They're, they're playing throwback basketball. They're playing three centers basically in Markinen, which I know Sarah is just kind of watching this and being like, "Wow, like this is amazing <laughs> yeah. that they're playing him at the mm-hmm. three with two other bigs, and it's working." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shouts to, to J.B. Bickerstaff, the coach there in Cleveland, for the ability to play those three bigs and play them seamlessly. And Lowry's always been a guy who can stretch the floor and play a little bit more dynamic. But to him to be a full-time three and being able to essentially be a small forward out there has been fantastic. It's been a revelation for them. So the Cavaliers have been able to play big. Um, and that defense has really helped lock down the boards and being able to uh, protect the rim. And Evan Mobley, you talk about surprises this season. Uh, Evan Mobley looks like he's a seasoned veteran out there, how, how dynamic he is on both ends of the floor. Um, and don't forget, Jared Allen, the gem, the hidden gem of the, of the Harden trade. The Nets used to have Jared Allen on their team, and now Jared Allen is becoming what looks like to be an all-star big. At age 23, this is an incredible season, shooting 70% from the floor and about 17 and 10 out there. That is an amazing, amazing production to see out of a young young big in Jared Allen. Watch out for the Cleveland Cavaliers this season, and don't be surprised if they make a deal at the deadline to ramp up and try to really take the East because right now it's an open, open Eastern Conference. And with Brooklyn Nets not having all their players on the floor, I can understand why the Cleveland Cavaliers – want to go all in and make sure that they have a playoff team and try to make a run here. They are really special, really fun team to watch and a great story in today's NBA. Spain and Fitz, Tom Haberstroh with us here. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz. 30 seconds or less 
of the teams hovering just outside the postseason right now, and it's very early, Raptors, Knicks, Pacers, Blazers, Spurs, who's the most likely to push their way in before the postseason? Oh, you know, I would say it's the Knicks. Uh, their defense has been atrocious this season, but I, I expect, again, Sarah, that Tom Thibodeau get it figured out because mm-hmm. that's just always what he does with the defense. Um, the Knicks have had a really, really tough time with all the regression to the mean with Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett's been, RJ Barrett's been out. Um, but I do ex- expect the Knicks to play better. Uh, Tom Thibodeau will not settle for what we've seen so far this season, so I expect the Knicks to roar back and get back into the playoff picture. Last, last year, overachieved, a little bit of a revelation, but I think they'll be better than what they've shown so far this season. Awesome stuff, Tom. Really appreciate the time. You got it. Spain and Fitz, Tom Haberstroh on the Goodyear Hotline. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight. Don't you worry, though. We wouldn't let Fitz off the hook from making his picks. We got them before he left, and we're going to do that coming up. But don't forget, ESPN Radio has you covered for bowl game action. Tune in tomorrow for the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl, followed by the PUBG Mobile New Mexico Bowl the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stifle, and the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. Coverage begins at 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Our picks next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We made it to the end of another week. That's right. It's Friday. 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 That's right, it's Friday, and we haven't needed a Friday like we need it today in a long time. Holy cow, get this week over with. Of course, you know, next week's now going to start with the results of this week, pushing things from this week to next week, but we don't need to get into that right now. We're going to make some picks. We're going to just think about how I'm so far ahead of Fitz in our weekly NFL picks that he really has no reasonable way of catching me. We'll honestly say that I did not look at his picks before making mine. I don't need the competitive advantage of looking at his and then picking all the same games so that he can't gain any ground. Uh, That's been happening all year anyway, even when I don't know his picks. So I I picked honestly and I picked genuinely, and uh, I guess so did he, or at least he's been trying all season long. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Get in the Zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the Zone, AutoZone. We're going to get in the Zone with our Five Pick Friday. Giving you the picks that matter. I'll tell you, I think the Raiders are going to win this game. They're going to win a high-scoring affair. And we're not talking Andy Dalton and Derek Carr picks. Try to wrap your head around that. Time for Five Pick Friday on Spain and Fitz. Yeah, why am I yelling? I should be happy. I'm doing well. I'm 37-13 and 13 on the year. Fitz, 29-20-1. Courtney's going to make her picks today as well. So let's start with Fitz's first pick. He's got the Browns over the Raiders. Now, Fitz has to pick the Raiders every week. He went with his Browns beating his uh, the Browns beating his Raiders. I stayed the hell away from any game that got postponed, Courtney, because I don't know who's playing and what it's going to look like. So do I need to make a pick on this game as well? Am I subjected to No, you to can picking? pick any game of the weekend as your first pick. Okay, so I will actually not stay away from everything Ooh. COVID-y related, and I'm going to go – look at Seattle and Los Angeles. Um, Another game that was postponed and is not part of our picks currently. So I'm going to take the Rams. I'm going to say they beat the Seahawks in a close one. It's going to be 29-26. They're due for 
Uh, probably a big letdown at some point here soon. I mean, they, they just snapped the losing streak. They looked really good on Monday Night Football, but again, they're dealing with COVID, so I think that they're going to scrape by Seattle. Russell Wilson's playing better now that his finger's better, um, but Seattle's going to keep this one close. So Seattle keeps it close, but Rams win. You're taking the yes. Rams. Okay. I'm going to start with the Cardinals over the Lions. That is both because I, I believe in the Cardinals, and I think way too many people jumped off their bandwagon because of that loss and a lot of prisoner of the moment stuff. I understand that the D-hop stuff is a problem, but they managed to win a couple games without D-hop and without Murray. So um, I still like the Cardinals against a Lions team. I know every once in a while – you know, these really terrible teams get a W against a team that's sleeping. I don't think the Cardinals are in sleep mode, so they're going to beat Detroit. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm i going to, I guess, go with Fitz's next pick. He takes the Colts over the Patriots. Now, I think his strategy is to take some teams that, um, you know, I might not pick and or try to try to, you know, get some points on unexpected things like this. Uh, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Before you make a pick, what do you think about him making the Colts over Patriots choice? I actually don't hate it. Huh. And I might be willing to go with the upset here, wow. too. I think that, the, like, the I mean, the, you know, Patriots are coming off the bye. Colts are coming off the bye. It comes at a good time. We saw what happened with the Patriots winning a game with a high school offense against the Bills in extreme conditions. So... I think they're going to stick with that same strategy, but it's not going to work against this defense. Yet on the other side of it, Jonathan Taylor has been in MVP mode, an absolute stud for an offense that doesn't necessarily need to just rely on its run game. So I'm going with the Colts. I think that Taylor carries them to a dub. Interesting. Okay, I'm, I'm still going with the Pats. I think Taylor and the Colts make it interesting, but I would have taken the Pats. I did not choose that game, though. It was close enough, and it was there in interesting elements there that I didn't. I went with the Packers over the Ravens. Um, just so many question marks with the Ravens with COVID stuff. The Packers are one of the teams that you really can believe in this season on um, both sides of the ball. And I think they are still very much trying to be in that battle for for the best in the conference and that bye. So uh, I'm going Packers over Ravens for my second pick. What's your second pick? You know, I'm just going to stick with what Fitz has, and I'll pick his games too because I think that he's got some right, good so ones on Colts here. you're taking Colts over Patriots then? Yes, I'm taking Colts okay. over Patriots right. on that one. Let's um, get to yeah. Let's have you start the third round then. What's your what's your third pick? So Fitz went Bills over Panthers, and I mean I think that anybody with a brain who's watched the Panthers play in their two uh, two quarterback high school offense would say that the Bills are going to win this one. They're coming off you know two terrible losses, gut wrenching loss at the in overtime uh, to Tom Brady in Tampa, and then the week before they get you know smacked by Tampa by. Uh, the New England Patriots, and now they're losing ground in the AFC East and in the playoff race. They're the sixth seed. Like, they need to get this thing back on track. So pretty easy win for them here. They're they're minus 12 at the moment, so I think that they will end up being a two or three touchdown favorite in this game. Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. She's going Bills over Panthers in step with Fitz, which I don't know if you heard any of what I said, but I don't know if that's a good strategy is to just pick the same games. He actually Fitz. picked some good games. Though. He did. Like, he did so... all right this week, but uh, you never know with Fitz. I, I actually was tempted to take the Bills. I think they're going to win that game. The, just the inconsistency has been killing me lately, and enough teams figure out that they can't get a balance on offense and they take away passing game. You make some mistakes as Josh Allen, and that could get weird. Uh, things can get weird with the Bills right now. I'm waiting for them to reaffirm the confidence I had earlier this year. Instead, I took the Cowboys over New York. It will be a presumably uh, caffeinated audience uh, for the Giants. 
uh, Pepsi-filled audience, but the Cowboys are a better team, and I need to see some definitive wins from the Cowboys. I need to see them assert themselves the way that they should against a pathetic Giants team because, you know, this is a team that just hasn't really made me feel confident as I was early in the season. So I think the Cowboys handle New York. Uh, Fitz's... um, Next pick, we'll go with the uh, we'll go with the Texans over the Jags. This is an interesting one. I always am staying away from a team that replaces a coach because there's a chance that they try to win one for the new guy, and I wouldn't touch that game. Yeah, but Davis Mills, I, I don't. If I'm if I'm looking at the passers themselves, two rookies, Davis Mills versus Trevor Lawrence, and yeah, I know Trevor Lawrence threw one touchdown pass in last month. I think that they end up getting it back on track here. Probably going to be really All low right. scoring. So you're taking that one too. Yeah. Okay. So no, I'm, Tex- go- I'm going Jacksonville over Jags. Houston. Okay. Jags, mm-hmm. Jags over Texans. All right. Good. I agree with you more so on that. Although that one, again, not touching it. Uh, my next pick is the, I got to pick the bears at some point. I'm going Vikings over bears, too many COVID issues and the bears just, there's not a lot to believe in right now, even though the Vikings have been consistent. I've got Minnesota. Okay. And uh, his last pick was Broncos over Bengals. I'll take that one too. Broncos are in the thick of trying to stay in that playoff race. And I think they get it done. All right, Broncos over Bengals is your last one. My last one is the Niners over the Falcons. Uh, Niners inconsistent, just like a lot of teams, but the Falcons are not good. Uh, They are inconsistent as well, and they are consistently bad and sometimes inconsistently a little bit better than bad. I'm going the Niners on that one. We will see next week after all those games that happen Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, probably a game Wednesday. We don't know how we did. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are coming up next. Kyrie Irving joins them. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.